comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Long Box of Doom, episode 247, our San Diego Comic-Con coverage. So, a little bit late, but I think it's given us time to let it all soak in, figure out what's rumor, what's truth, what matters, what doesn't. Uh, and join with me tonight are Dr. Esquire, Mr. Jordan from Jersey, and soon-to-be Daddy Times 2, Mr. Jim Dietz. Literally, any minute now. It could happen on <laughs> this very everybody. show. Keep, yeah, I think that would be kind of awesome. Keep listening. You never know. The only question is, if that happens, it seems to me you have to name the kid after the podcast. No, do, I don't. Do you go with Do you go with Doomy or or Longbox or that could be a middle name? You never know. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> so San Diego Comic Con, a lot of news, a lot of stuff. Let's we should just jump right in because there's a lot to cover. Kick us off. Well, let's start with the Fox side of Marvel, okay? Um, sure. uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about that I, that I read that I thought was really cool is this, this, uh, trend of, uh, of, of stars cosplaying as themselves and going yes. out on the floor of San Diego Comic Con. Uh, Brian Cranston from, uh, Breaking Bad did this. He put a Walter White mask on and then went down into the, the crowds of Comic Con. And I guess Hugh Jackman at the, uh, the, um, Fox Marvel panel said he had done the same thing. He, he got in the, um, the traditional yellow and blue Wolverine suit and went down the floor of San Diego. And like one guy was like, Hey, you got the hair just right. And then another guy was like, I'm sorry, you're too tall for it to be Wolverine, dude. Um, <laughs> Adam Savage did the same thing from, uh, Mythbusters. Nice. Yeah. He had a whole flash mob of like, yeah. you know, 50 people all dressed as him. That's great. I mean, it's, it's like a simulation of, of yourself. It's just bizarre. But, um, they talked about the upcoming Wolverine movie, which we'll be covering, uh, on our next Real Heroes installment, directed by James Mangold, who was also there. Um, and how proud they are of it and how it adheres to the, or this, you know, the, it was, you know, inspired by the Claremont Miller, uh, miniseries. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, excited to play Wolverine coming up on what is this like a seventh or eighth movie? Uh, Days of Future Past. I think it'll be the seventh. Days Number of seven. Future Past will, I believe, be seven. Yeah, he's he's played this. We'll have played this role seven seven times by the end of Days of Future Past. Wolverine and, uh, being in seven movies as a character is a record. Like the only other superhero to be in that many movies is Superman. Um, through the four Superman movies and then Returns and then Man of Steel is six. So uh, Wolverine as a character in a movie is beat it by one. So. And with the same actor, which you right. can't say about any of those. Yeah, other exactly, ones. exactly. Yeah, but I guess they, they're very high on the movie, and so far, advanced reviews have been pretty good, uh, overall that I've seen. Um, but I, again, we'll be talking more about that on our next uh, installment of Real Heroes, which comes out next week. 
but I guess the big news from the, the Fox side of, of Marvel uh, was uh, the, the Days of Future Past, uh, Brian Singer's uh, opus, I guess. And he had the, pretty much the whole cast there. Uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, uh, Anna Paquin and uh, Michael Fassbender and James... And, Halle Berry. Uh, yeah, Halle Berry, yeah. And just everybody from the cast was in Peter Dinklage. Um, the, the entire, the entire cast, um, was there for the panel, which I thought was pretty cool. And they did that too on the other side, on the, uh, on the Disney Marvel side too, but I guess we'll talk about that. But I thought it was cool. They had the whole cast there. I heard that Ian McKellen was kind of flirting with Michael Fassbender. So, I mean, Magneto is trying to pick himself up. That's kind of weird and cool. I thought, <laughs> uh, the, the, I really like the posters that they have with the, the yes. young and the old inter, interposed upon one another. And that I, I have to shout out Aaron Newarth, who, who did a lot of really great coverage. Uh, you can catch it at y, at y uh, a lot of great photos on Facebook or whatever, but he scored uh, a t-shirt of that really great Japanese-inspired uh, Wolverine poster that just recently I, came out. And I, know I Russ chastised is, him for that. Russ is eight shades of green with envy uh, right now, because he didn't <laughs> I, get that t-shirt and Aaron did. So. Yeah, it's funny. I, I asked him, I was like, if you tell me they actually sold that and you didn't call, text, or uh, message me that they had them available... I will disown you. And um, he said, no, they gave him away at the panel, which in a way is kind of worse because then I'm now I'm really jealous that if I would have been there, I'd have gotten that shirt. But it's that movie poster, regardless of how well or not I like the movie, that has got to be one of the greatest movie posters I've ever seen. It's just it's so awesome. That whole minimalistic, um, you know, almost splash art rendition of, of Wolverine with his arms crossed and the claws out. Uh, on the white background is just I I love it I I I've saw it on Amazon today it's like six bucks um for for the poster so I'm I see that in my very near future framed on my wall. You are the biggest Wolverine fan I know. Yeah, it kind of looks like halfway between uh, uh, Japanese calligraphy and Frank Miller. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean it's got like those ink strokes like calligraphy, but then that very like you said scratch design to it uh, like Miller. A little bit of charcoal in there too, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. True, that's true. And they also had um. Those Sentinel, uh, Trask Industry, uh, propaganda posters there that were pretty cool. Yeah. And the Sentinel head. We know what the, at least a version, you know, cause presumably you might see, uh, several different generations or something in the movie, but a version of the Sentinel head. And it looks pretty cool. Not a hundred percent comic book accurate, but very close. And I think a pretty good movie representation. I also saw they had trucker hats that said Trask Industries. They were bright purple. Yeah. Uh, with the, the Trask Industries logo. Um, by the way, Trask anagram for Stark. It's, I don't know. I think it's, this movie is incredibly ambitious. Uh, you know, this giant cast being able to juggle all of them and make them all matter in the story. It's going to be uh, interesting, you know, to say the least. If you can pull it off, it's going to be an, an amazing cinematic feat. And speaking of Bolivar Trask, uh, it seems to be official now that that is indeed who the imp is playing. Yeah. He did, he did confirm that at the panel. He is Bolivar Trask. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that'll be a great chance for him to chief scenery and really, uh, really act it up. That'll be awesome. And it seems I'm really happy that it seems that they're following the comic story fairly close, at least at this point. Now, granted, some of this is rumor, but I think Fox has actually put out an official blurb. But I, and I think we've talked about this maybe in the B, maybe in the uh, really big show last time. But it does look like it's going to center on Wolverine's older character's consciousness floating down to his uh, 70s counterpart consciousness, and he's kind of the point-of-view character, I guess, for the movie, with Kitty Pride playing a pretty pivotal role. So 
I'm I'm really excited about that. Now we we've talked about in the past that this movie is likely going to reset some X Men continuity and help make the first three films fit better together with uh, First Class and such. Now that we've kind of gotten a little bit more information on the movie, do you get the impression that the future he's coming from is the future of X Men Three and the Wolverine? Because I mean, obviously, you know, spoilers for a you know, several years years old movie. Uh, Professor X died in X-Men 3. Now, granted, they already set up in that movie a way to bring him back, but he's clearly alive as an old man in this post-apocalyptic future. Are we to take that by going back in time, Wolverine... is ba- Basically, that the Days of Future Past is the future of X-Men First Class, and Wolverine is going back in time and resetting things to X-Men 3? Does that make any sense? That's a good question, and I think it, 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 that might be part of it is... That's how they explain that whatever happened in the 70s changed things so drastically that Gene never killed the professor. We know that that Famke Jansen is not back for um, Days of Future Past, or at least that's the word. So it sounds like maybe that's what it is, and that once this thing gets gets fixed and reset, that that all gets wiped out. Unless they play a little fast and loose, and maybe things change, and it doesn't go exactly back the way... That they should have. So maybe the older professor is still able to be alive, but events have changed. So this is almost like it creates a third reality. Like we have the first reality where everything goes normal. Professor dies. Gene goes crazy. We have whatever this Days of Future Past timeline is. And then we have the after they go back and fix whatever got jacked up um, timeline as well. So hard so instead of making the x-men movie timeline a little bit more streamlined like we had hoped it's going to be even more confusing i think maybe i've heard it compared to what they did with uh the abrams star trek that there's a line at which things diverge off and it's basically an alternate you know timeline slash reality and that the one we know of is still quote-unquote valid and continues on so it's kind of that well no no i get that but the thing is we've already we're already starting from a position of two timelines basically or two two timelines that maybe intersect but we don't know exactly how and now we're adding a third instead of having it be a bridging point between the two that already exist right which is what i'd hoped for yeah i think i think in, in to some degree other than whatever plot line they need to to follow through for uh the wolverine I'm thinking they wish that X-Men 3 would have just never existed. Well, I think we all kind of wish that. Yeah, I I, I know I do. And uh, Bishop's going to be in the movie, and he looks, I forget the actor's name off the top of my head, but he looks very comic accurate with the big dreadlocks, the M over his eye, all that. Omar Sy? I think that's his name? That sounds about right. Yeah. Not, that, not that the dreadlocks and the, the tattoo on his eye are the only defining characteristics of Bishop, but visually he looks very reminiscent of the character as he first appeared in the books. I've been uh, hearing reports from across the pond, too, that one would uh, want to stay after the credits of the Wolverine movie to see yes. a, uh, a bit uh, leading into Days of Future Past. Yes, I stayed away from details on it, but I, I did see that report as well. Yeah, same same here. I The cool thing is, this is Thursday the 25th as we record this. Uh, not to pull the curtain back too far, but um, so 24 hours from now, I should have uh, some answers to these questions and hopefully be uh, pleasantly surprised and not uh, let down by by this movie. But uh, so far, th- there's been more good than bad, uh, and I have high hopes. And definitely for Days of Future Past, I think the more it's kind of like First Class when they first started talking about it, I was I was not real high on it. And the more they leaked out and the more they leaked out, I was like, okay, that's a lot more intriguing, which is kind of how 
it was when the first X-Men movie came out back in 2000. I was really down on it. And the more I, you know, learned about it, the, the more I, I liked it. And so the same thing, it seems, is happening with Days of Future Past. Very skeptical in the beginning, but coming around very quickly. Well, we, we shall see. And um, if you've got one of those blue trucker hats out there, I really want one. They look cool. <laughs> Uh, it was also rumored that they were going to announce an X-Force movie or details on the X-Force movie at uh, Comic-Con. Did not happen, although it's pretty much confirmed. I mean, it's not officially confirmed by Fox, but pretty much everybody, we, we know who's writing it. You know, people behind the movie have talked about it. It's just not been officially confirmed as far as I know. I know Mark Miller has gone on record as, sa- as saying something about it, and so has Liefeld. So, right. I mean, it, Not that you can take Liefeld as a no. or Miller for that, or Mark Miller for that matter. <laughs> I mean, he's not well, exactly yeah. a, you know a credible witness at times. But at least in this case, I mean, it does seem like they're at least in some form of active development on it. Not that that means a whole lot, as you know, you know, we'll get to DC in a little bit. DC has been in active development of some sort on a Justice League movie, etc., for decades now. So, well, it's interesting. What's interesting to me is that if they expand the X Men franchise like they look like they want to. Um, and, you know, bring out the Fantastic Four, you know, the, I, the Max Landis version that's coming out next year or whatever. And we get the, the, the Marvel Disney movies that we're going to talk about a little bit later. I mean, are, are we going to be oversaturated? Is the public going to, are we going to get, you know, superhero fatigue? Is, is the public not going to care about Marvel characters after a while? After being, you know, hit over the head with them so many times? It all depends if the movies are good, you know. I think on the Disney side, they've been really smart as having very different tones in all the movies. Like Thor The Dark World looks very much like a, uh, you know, epic fantasy, you know, Game of Thrones in, in, in space type thing. Winter Soldier looks very much influenced by, like, espionage films of the 70s and 80s, you know, very much a spy story, you know. So, I mean, they're superhero movies, but they're using them to go down other genres, you know. Um, I'm wondering if the X movies are going to be able to do the same thing, considering, you know, the the same theme is prevalent in every team, you know, they're, they're mutants fighting for mutankind, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's true, but, like, even so far, First Class felt different than the other movies because of the 60s setting, and it had that feel. Uh, Days of Future Past will be the 70s, uh, The Wolverine is this samurai movie, kind of, it's, it's a, uh, it's a very different-looking thing. X-Force could be a black, it depends which version of X-Force, because we still don't know, could be a black ops-type division, you know, they, they can still do that there. It doesn't all have to be um, genericized. Right. It just seems like there's a lot of superhero product coming out in the next few years. I'm concerned with just, like you, Jim, to some degree, that there's just oversaturation in general. I, I don't necessarily think the public at large is too tuned in on what's DC, what's Marvel, what's Sony versus Fox versus Disney, all that kind of stuff. I think the issue may be that at some point the public is just tired of it. I mean, we talked about this before. You know, westerns were a thing for a very long time. Musicals were a thing for a very long time. Uh, buddy cop action movies were a thing for a very long time. At, at some point, no matter how good they are or not, the public tends to just be like, okay, yeah, we get it, we've seen it. Um, the only hope I have is just that, like you said, also, there's enough variance that they're trying to make these movies different enough that it you could you could quantify it or classify it in multiple categories and and that's enough to you know to get people to keep coming back until at least until the next big thing comes comes along you know or until two of these three of these things flop um you know i was just saying you know when when westerns went on the wane 
in the 60s. That's when they came in the, the late 60s and 70s with westerns that, that used other genres. You know, I mean, you got like The Magnificent Seven, which was the Seven Samurai cast as a western. You know, um, Once Upon a Time in the West and the Spaghetti Westerns, which were, you know, way different than the traditional westerns we got out of, you know, California and, and Hollywood uh, in the 40s and 50s. I mean, you got, uh, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is more about the end of that era than it is about those guys, you know. So, Jordan, lay the scoop on us about Amazing Spider-Man. They showed footage from the movie, uh, some more Electro stuff, uh, some more Rhino stuff. We got the the word that while Rhino will be in this movie, it's more of a opening scene is Peter Parker fighting uh, Stechovich, who will eventually become the Rhino, and it's more of just a way to show you that it's not just every couple years Peter fights a supervillain who shows up and there's a movie made about it. He's got this life that is constantly going on. There's always villains around. Sometimes it's small-time petty theft, and sometimes it's the Rhino. And the Rhino will be in a couple scenes, but it's it's Electro's movie. And I, I was happy to hear that. And I, I think most people probably were that, you know, A, it's just branching out that world and showing you that it's alive, but it's not going to be too oversaturated. You might have... The vultures show up, but it might just be for a scene, and then he can show up later on down the line, which the the general rumor, the pretty much well-accepted rumor is that by the time we get to three, it's going to be the Sinister Six, or four, it'll be the Sinister Six, and, you know, we're just, we're just peppering in the villains now. It's not going to be a Spider-Man 3 situation, hopefully, with oversaturation and everybody teaming up, until all these characters have been established and feel germane to the world. No, how do you feel about the glow-in-the-dark gummy bear that, uh, look they've given Jamie Foxx as Electro? I, I mean, because I didn't see the Comic-Con footage, obviously I was not there. I only read about it. We, all I've seen is the 30-second clip where you see him um, on screen for a few seconds. I actually think it looks pretty cool. Uh, it looks a lot better in motion than it does in a still photograph where he's got the lightning moving under his skin. Um, we've seen the costume be- beforehand. It looks... Uh, kind of a little bit Ultimate Electro, a little bit uh, X-Men feel to it. But, you know, an actual suit. He's not just, a you know, a guy in street clothes most of the time. He's got a, an actual supervillain costume, if you will. Um, and the way he's playing it, at least in that clip I saw, I'm happy with it. That sounds like a, a, a credible version of Electro to me. I'm glad it is Electro and they didn't go back to the Green Goblin well already. You know what I mean? Right, I right. mean, we had a really good uh, Doc Ock, I thought, in Spider-Man 2. So they've done that. They, you know, they've been to the well a few times on the Green Goblin already. Um, so I'm glad they didn't go there. Although it is rumored that he will show up by the end. Yeah, but, I mean... You know, again, a small role. More of a controlling, right. you know, man-behind-the-curtain type. And thing. that's something you want to build up to. You know what I mean? That's your crescendo. That's not the, you know, that's not the overture. And this is kind of the overture. Um, I'm glad, I can't, I, I've been waiting to see Electro on the screen ever since I heard there was going to be a Spider-Man movie because he's one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. Um, even with the giant lightning bolt, bolt face, uh, <laughs> costume that he used to wear back in the day. So, I mean, this looks great. I mean, I'm going to be there. Opening and day. it looks to be that his power set is going to be a kind of combination of current Electro in the 616 and Electro in the Ultimate Universe, in addition to how his look is kind of a mix of them. Um, you know, he can, travel between, he can travel over wires, he can you know, jump into an electrical socket in one place and, and pop up in another place of the city, and Mark Webb, the director, who also did Amazing Spider-Man uh, 1, was talking about how the real appeal of this character, and I think I agree, is Spider-Man is a mostly melee-based, melee-based hero, rather, and his one kind of distance attack is using webs. Well, webs conduct electricity, at least in uh, 
in the comics and the movies. Whether they do in real life, I don't actually know. So how do you fight a villain that you can't touch? And, and I think that'll be very interesting. I, uh, I, I don't know. I have the same thing with Jamie Foxx that I have with Russell Crowe. Like, he can be an excellent, excellent actor when he's more understated and more... Um, subdued but then there are other times when he's in a movie and he just acts to the rafters and chooses the scenery and it's kind of which from we've only seen a little bit of footage but it seemed to be more of the i don't know necessarily subdued but somewhere in the middle at least not going bonkers in, in the little bits we've seen right and that's incorrect i find that incorrect yes <laughs> he does have the strangest comb over ever at least before he becomes electro but uh, I'm not going to hold his hair against him. Can't because it conducts electricity. <laughs> and it's also already sticking up and not actually hold held against. And since Comic Con, there's been rumors going around today. Mark Webb, when when he was setting up the story, he he basically had a three movie arc envisioned, um, involving Peter and Gwen and Peter's parents and the rise of the Green Goblin and possibly the Sinister Six. All this, but an overarching story. Which again, another thing I really like because hey, it's it's comic books. It's a continuing medium, and while it's cool to have a singular story, it's also nice to build to things like we've talked about and to have this sense that it's a real a, a real connected world. And the rumor going around today and it is that Mark Webb has come out and said, you know, I had this three movie idea and now we've greenlit three and four. So four might be a little bit different. And the rumor now is that it might focus more on the villains or it might be a spin-off movie of some type that doesn't fully focus on Peter, but might, um, like, like I said, focus on the villains as maybe a, maybe a Venom movie is, is one idea, or something that's just a little bit different than a standard Spider-Man movie. So we don't know exactly what that is yet, but uh, hey, different is always interesting. The superior foes of Spider-Man, the movie. <laughs> I would uh, I would totally buy into that if it was as good as uh, that first issue of the comic. I said it with uh, Spider-Man three. They try sometimes they try and shoehorn too many villains in, and if they're going to do that, I wish they would just go the full you know just go all the way and just do the Sinister Six. I think if you're gonna, and I know that's been talked around as well. If you know if you're going to try and do all these villains, just do them all and make it this big, huge, crazy supervillain epic, uh, and do it that way. And I think. That would, I personally for me, that would work better, as long as you didn't focus on you know each villain's origin. That you almost like took it for granted, or show like a quick montage scene or something like that that establishes them, or or the fact that their origins aren't really important. But I think that could be really uh, you know incredible if they if they were able to pull it off properly. And it's nice in the framework they've set up, giving Oscorp. Um, as a entity kind of personage, almost in the legal sense of almost all of these characters either work for Oscorp or involved with Oscorp, get their powers from Oscorp, and it makes it um, makes it less uh, they, you don't have to focus as much on the origin because Oscorp is the origin, and making you know the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, the company itself all behind it. Um, means you don't have to focus as much on the origins and you don't have to focus as much on the motivation. The motivation is we work for a bad guy who doesn't like Spider-Man. <laughs> and so you don't have to have the stupid Spider-Man 3 scenes of, hey, you don't like Spider-Man? Hey, neither do I. We should team up and fight him. You know, because it's just, they're doing a job. Or 20 minutes of and, backstory like for each villain. I, you don't need that. I, you know, like Sand, I mean, Sandman's whole backstory in, in Spider-Man 3 was, was superfluous. I thought... I mean, and, and, and I, well, I mean, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But I mean, going, taking it back to X Men for a minute, I think that was the first X Men movie was a good 
uh, way, uh, showed a good way to introduce a lot of villains very quickly because they were all very visually oriented. You know, Toad, Mystique. By seeing them use their powers, you kind of get the idea of who they were without having to go into great detail as to their origin story or whatnot. So I th- yeah, make them a little bit more henchmen, yeah. like Mystique or or Sabretooth. Right. Something that's just very, you know, show us what their power is. You know, oh, she can change shape. Oh, he's big and scary with claws. You know what I mean? It's just um, I mean, by you know, just using visual vocabulary rather than having to go into backstory and origin stories and bog it down with with all that kind of exposition. Right. And really, I mean, for some of these characters, I mean, yes, Rhino has had a couple amazing stories told about him, particularly those Joe Kelly stories I always gush on and on about. Um. But, you know, take like Adrian Toomes, the Vulture, who's another one of the characters rumored to be in two. I've been reading Spider-Man comics for 10 years. I've read plenty of comics with the Vulture. I have no idea what his backstory is. I'm, I'm just realizing this now. I have no idea what the origin of the Vulture is, and I don't care. I get the Vulture. And not just because I've been reading it for 10 years, but he's an old man who's a supervillain who can fly. Okay, run with it. Like you're saying, Jim, you don't need as much of a backstory for some of these characters. They're bad guys who work for a bad guy who wants to Spider-Man dead. There's your story. Take it back to the the Lee and Ditko or Lee and Kirby. I mean, that's comics are a visual medium, you know. There's a reason why Electro had electric bolts all over his face. You saw him and you're like, okay, I know his power. I know what he can do. You know what I mean? You don't even have to see him. You just have to know his name. Yes, exactly. Oh, the villain's Electro? I wonder what his power is. And, and, you know, that's something that I think the filmmakers could really learn from, from the comics themselves is using the visual vocabulary more than having to you know, block up your movie with a lot of exposition. Right. Do you guys want to go ahead and make it a trifecta and talk about the Disney Marvel stuff now? So, uh, to complete the Marvel trifecta, uh, let's talk about the Disney Marvel side. And wow, there was a lot of stuff going on here. Um, there was a lot of very cool stuff. First of all, Tom Hiddleston came out dressed as Loki and addressed the crowd in all age, um, with a, a monologue that I guess he re- had written himself that had like lines and it had like, you know, you mewling quims. And stuff in it from his performances Loki in the Avengers. And he had the crowd in Hall H chanting Loki, Loki, Loki. He says, it seems I've raised an army of my own, you know. And then he came and sat on the panel to talk about uh, Thor the Dark World. Which Yeah, it was a little bit hammy. Um, and I've seen that that clip was released. Um, but it, it, was, it did look like a lot of fun. And I can see why it played to the room really well. He looked like he was having a lot of fun with it. It reminded me of when uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. showed up at Comic-Con. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, uh, with just the glove, yeah, and uh, the arc reactor on his chest. I mean, it just it was it was some nice fan service to people who had to sit in line for God knows how long to get into Hall H for that panel. So I guess first they showed Thor footage. They had people from Thor there on the panel. Um, the big thing from the footage is, you know, we know you know Loki can't be trusted. We know he he's basically says, um, in well, in the trailer, Thor says, "When you betray me, I'll kill you," and from the footage. Uh, and this may be kind of a big spoiler, but uh, it looks like Loki at one point turns on Thor and cuts off his hand. That's kind of huge. Huh. And plays into like that uh, that uh, God Butcher storyline in Thor where old man Thor is missing a hand, I believe, right? Missing an arm. Yeah, he's missing oh, an entire arm. arm. Okay. Now, to be fair, arm. in the footage, it cuts right before the blade would hit Thor's arm, his hand, his wrist, his arm, wherever it was. Like I said, I didn't see the footage. I just read a play-by-play of it. So we don't know exactly how that will play out, but that's if that happens, that's a huge thing. 
that would be a huge thing, especially, you know, going into Thor's next appearance, which would be in Avengers 2, which we also heard about, but we'll get to that a little later. I'm really excited uh, to, you know, Alan, uh, Thor movie, and it has a really, you know, epic look to it, like almost Lord of the Ringsy, at least I, from what I've seen in the trailers so far and the footage. It's a Thor movie directed by the a guy who, from Game of Thrones, starring the Doctor. Right. I mean, that's that's a geek trifecta There's right there. There's some geek pedigree there, for sure. Uh, the big rumor I heard was that at Natalie Portman's uh, Jane Foster was going to die. Um, really? Yeah, in, in Thor The Dark World. I mean, like I said, it's not a spoiler because it's just a rumor that I've heard. Uh, but Well, and I heard she wasn't really enthused about coming back for the sequel to begin with. It was a contract thing, and I think what I heard, and this could be all speculation, that I think if she had her way, she'd have passed on on doing it altogether. So yeah, I mean, I don't know that it would be a huge loss to uh, have her character exit the universe. I mean, I'm sure there are Jane Foster fans out there. I thought she was fine in the first movie. That said, I go to Thor to see Thor, not to see Jane Foster. So and uh, you've you've got Jamie Alexander on the other side of that love triangle as Sif. That's a pretty stiff competition, even for Natalie Portman. Yeah, I know which side of that equation I'd choose. I think I do, too. <laughs> what else was there from the Thor panel? Uh, the footage seemed to go over well. Um, as usual, the ladies love Tom Hiddleston. Um, and just in general, I mean, like, I'm, I, again, I, everybody knows I'm not a Thor guy. I really like the first movie, though, and this one looks just as good, if not better. Yeah, I agree. This one looks less Earthbound, which is good for me, because I really, I was a big fan of the Thor, like the Simonson run, you know, the cosmic stuff, and uh, even the Kirby stuff that you know, took place in Asgard, and the other nine realms, so. Yeah, the rumor is we're going to see, like, what, four of the other realms that we haven't seen yet? And we've already seen three, so that's a, that's pretty big. Yeah. There's also rumor that this is going to have connective tissue to Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think... I certainly hope so. Yeah, I think the money is on... That Benicio del Toro's character as the collector shows up in Thor. We already know he's cast in Guardians of the Galaxy, so that's that's the rumor I think at this point. That could be very interesting. Maybe he collects Thor's hand. Maybe. Oh, we we will we will have to see on that. So next they showed Captain America the Winter Soldier footage, um, which apparently also I mean all this stuff goes over really well, partially because it's the room, but generally people and reporters were saying the footage looked cool again. This is the 70s action thriller, 70s spy thriller inspired film. It's directed by the Russo brothers who um, have a comedy background. They're actually most known for their uh, stuff from Community. And from interviews, it seems that that's pretty much the reason that they were hired is, you know, Community is a show that doesn't exclusively, but very often will do homage episodes that, you know, it's a it's a uh, war movie episode it's a you know documentary episode that type of thing so their ability to emulate styles and to pay homage to very distinct visuals is is the reason that they were picked for this movie and i, I think that it was probably pretty smart i mean only time will tell when we actually see the film but th- that's a you know marvel makes very shrewd decisions you know a lot of times we will question them very heavily when they're first announced but so far, they've pretty much paid off, and this sounds to me, now that they've give, given the reasoning, sounds like another very smart um, decision. You want a 70s action thriller? Well, give us directors who have the ability to mimic styles and bring out the appreciable aspects from the things we love and, and recreate them in a, in a new way. And this is almost exactly what I wanted to see in a modern-day cab movie, too, more of an espionage focus, um, kind of you know emulating the Brubaker run, which I love so much of Cap. Um, I, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans were both there to promote it, and uh, I, I'm glad that uh, the Black Widow is going to have like a large, you know, a 
pretty sizable role in the movie from what I've heard. Um, yes. Especially, I mean, being tied to S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. Uh, the clip that they showed that I've seen of uh, Cap in the elevator uh, with the, uh, the the different assailants, I don't know if you guys have heard about it or not. I, I read about yeah, it, yes. Yeah. It sounded yeah. pretty cool. It sounds like it's Cap versus S.H.I.E.L.D. in parts of this movie. And he doesn't know who to trust. I mean, uh, that's really cool seeing someone coming from a very black and white society, you know, um, coming to into a, you know all these different shades of gray. Uh, in the espionage game, so I, I'm really looking forward to this one a lot. I was a huge fan of the first Cap movie. It's probably my, still you know my favorite single hero uh, Marvel movie. You know, I mean, Avengers is obviously my favorite of all of them, but uh, as far as single you know one-off movies, I definitely have to say you know Cap was my favorite, and this one looks incredible. It looks great, and Sebastian Stan as um as this, the Winter Soldier, he looks right. I mean, he looks looks you know he looks the party looks good. Um, or, you know, Robert Redford is, is a, a shield higher up. And my favorite bit of, of news out of Comic-Con for Captain America actually didn't come from the panel. It was something actually, so after Comic-Con was, was all wrapped up, I saw on Reddit, you know how they will, at the Marvel booth, they will put up um, costumes and props, and we'll talk about that later with Guardians of the Galaxy as well, but um, they've done it with Iron Man suits in the past. We saw the Captain America uniform at New York Comic-Con when we were there um, the other year. Um, one of the things they set up was a display with the uh, Captain America Winter Soldier cap costume standing in front of the costumes of the members of the Howling Commandos, including Dum Dum Dugan and all the others. That, to me, was the most exciting thing. Now, we know there is a uh, set piece in the movie involving a museum with a Captain America display, and I won't get into that because I I feel like it's kind of a big spoiler and something that I kind of wish I didn't know about. Um, so I won't spoil it for anyone there. So it could be that these costumes are just from a museum display. That said, any Howling Commandos in this movie was way more Howling Commandos than I expected, and it thrills me to no end that they will at least get some type of reference, it looks like. Uh, I, I would imagine, I mean, I don't know, I'm not, you know, I haven't seen the movie, I don't have any foreknowledge, but I'm guessing that, you know, to show the the relationship between Cap and Bucky as it, you know, as it used to be, they'd probably want to start the movie with a flashback. And I'm hoping that there will be some of them, certainly, because they've talked about that was their whole reason of doing the montage sequence in Captain America, um, was to basically be able to fill in those gaps later. Also, what's come out after the fact is that this movie is set one year, approximately one year after the Avengers. So, again, that gives us a little bit of understanding as to how much time has passed since the Avengers. Right, right, which is nice. And, and of course, I think, I don't remember the exact timeline, but we, we do know from Iron Man 3 how long that was after. Um, the Avengers, and hopefully in Thor we will get a similar uh, donate, uh, notation of time. Well, uh, after that, they uh, talked about uh, a little movie called Guardians of the Galaxy. You better believe they did. And uh, it was interesting because they, the James Gunn uh, said during the panel they had only been shooting together for 10 days at that point, but they all left the studio and flew to Comic-Con. I mean, the entire cast. From London. From this London. was a big deal. Yeah, all of them. Uh, the entire cast was there. They showed some really cool concept art, and they had a really cool scene that they showed to kind of set the tone. It's almost like Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, think of them as the usual suspects in space. Um, that's kind of the, the way it was. It seemed like it was being sold. And the the stuff from the trailer, which again I have not seen, but I read the play by plays on it, sounds pretty much perfect. It reminds me of a scene I remember from um, Annihilation where uh, Peter Quill meets the other members of the Guardians of the Galaxy in prison, and uh, the, the tone of it sounds very James Gunn, sounds very Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm super excited about it, man. 
Yeah, they they had a bunch of props there too. That was another thing. They had the yes, the Nova. It looks like the Nova helmet and the Nova suit. Um, yeah, basically like the guardsman from the prison. This is probably not the full, you know, uh, you know like a Richard Rider type outfit. Right, this is more of a centur- to centurion, you know, day to day uniform. So it's a little bit more utilitarian and less flashy. But it's still it's got the symbols. It's got the helmet. It's yeah. got it's got everything. It looks pretty badass. And I guess Glenn Close is going to play Nova Prime, so her role's finally been confirmed as well. Right. But the, the most interesting news I think we got is there's been a lot of speculation about who Karen Gillan was playing. Um, and it's gone from, uh, you know, I think at one point the big money was on uh, her her to play uh, Angela. Now it, it looks like it, it's come out that she's going to play Nebula, who first appeared in Avengers 257, which, funny enough, is the first Avengers comic I ever bought. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, back in the Roger Stern run. So I, I've actually got a complete run of the Roger Stern Avengers, which is, in my opinion, some, one of the best runs ever, um, especially at the end when they did the whole Masters of Evil, you know, destroying the mansion thing. But um, she took off her, her redheaded wig and she's gone bald for the movie, which I found interesting because Nebula in the comics isn't bald. She has this kind of very straight black black hairdo. She um, has been. I've seen her in. Uh, oh, has she comics. been bald? Yeah, she has been. I'll be darned. Yeah, because that was actually the impetus in the panel was I believe Chris Hardwick was was moderating uh, because he seems to moderate pretty much every panel. Yeah, panel. that was another thing and I he wanted goes, to mention. He moderated every panel that I watched for Comic Con this year. He's a big deal, man. But yeah, he asked her. You know, uh, Karen, your character of Nebula is bald in the comics. So how is that going to be handled in the movie? And she and she says. Uh, in, in the panel, yeah, I might have done something a little bit stupid, and she pulls off what no one realized up until that point was a wig uh, to reveal the shaved head. I had actually watched a 10-minute interview with her that was shot the day before, before this panel, um, and, and never would have guessed in a million years it was a wig. It was a good wig. Just seems so and strange. she rocks the, the, shorn, the shorn locks look there. I guess. I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. I would have liked the long black hair. I think that would have been kind of... I hey, I, I will praise commitment, even if it's a uh, strange commitment. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just thought that was an interesting take, but uh, oh well. It was also dropped during the panel that uh, Thanos will be in the film in some capacity, uh, probably an, uh, you know behind the curtain string pulling type villain, but uh, he will be there. Uh, Damien uh, Jimon Hosu, I forget how Jimon Hunsu. There you go. He's what is his character's name? Does anybody remember off the top of your heads? Korath, I think. Well, he he's working for uh, Thanos, and and like like we said, he he dropped that Thanos will be in the movie, so we know that now. And we also know that Thanos is not the big bad of Avengers two now. Yeah, that was a big uh, big announcement. Very but surprising. Before we get to that, um, Russ, you had mentioned the props that they showed off. Um, it was not just the Nova uniforms. They also showed off uh, Star-Lord's mask, which is very much the DNA-accurate version. It doesn't have the helmet, it doesn't look like, but it's got the mask portion, and it looks awesome. They showed off his guns, um, boots that may be his or maybe Rocket Raccoon's. It's unclear. We still do not know who's playing Groot. We still do not know who's playing Rocket Raccoon, although they were in the footage. They just didn't say anything, and appa- apparently they looked perfect and awesome. Um, and there's also his Walkman, because, you know, Peter Quill is from Earth and, and left as a uh, younger man. as And a uh, spherical MacGuffin that Peter Quill is stealing in the scene in the movie that they showed off, which is what uh, ends him up in, in space jail. 
Uh, do we have any idea of what that could be? I mean, you figure with these Marvel movies, even if it's a MacGuffin that doesn't factor too heavily into the plot, it's going to be something from the Marvel Universe, right? The Eye of Agamotto. No, I don't, but we I don't know. But we know what that looks like in, the, no, in the cinematic universe, and we know it's not that. This is a kind of, it's a copper or gold-colored metal sphere with patterns on it. It looks to be somewhat hollow. Um, I'm going to assume it has some significance in the Marvel Universe, that if once we find out what it is, we're going to go, oh, that's kind of neat, but at this point we do not know. But anyway, that was shown off as well, as well as Drax's daggers, which look awesome. The, uh, the one concept painting they had, too, of everyone in their make- makeup slash costumes, uh, you know, lined up there in the prison. Um, yeah, that, that was fabulous. I thought that was great. I really like the look they have for each of the characters. I think it's gonna. Um, I, I don't. I'm really looking forward to this. Probably more than pretty much any other Marvel movie, except for Avengers Ditto. too. Ditto. Um, and uh, Zoe Saldana and Batista, who play um, Gamora and Drax, uh, specifically. Apparently, you know, it may be augmented with CG, but they are going with makeup for them because they're both green. Uh, well, Drax is green and red, but it's not going to be just uh, CG versions. It is them in prosthetics and makeup, which is uh, very cool. Yeah. So off the, top how... of your, off the top of your heads, who do you want for Groot and who do you want for Rocket Raccoon? I would dig Vin Diesel as the voice of Groot. Uh, we still don't know who he's going to play. There was lots and lots of rumors. It's still rumored that he's the Vision or another character we'll talk about in, in momentarily when we talk about Avengers 2. But I think he would make a perfect Groot, and if you disagree with me, go watch Iron Giant. As for Rocker Raccoon, anybody British. I mean, David Tennant would be cool, uh, partially for the uh, Doctor Who-ness. But, uh, you know, as long as it's someone with personality and a good voice actor, I don't know that I fully really care who plays him. And, you know, as, as long as it's quality, I don't care. I have no guesses. Hmm. Maybe uh, Eric Idle? Oh. I, I would not have a problem with that. That would be good. Or the ghost of Graham Chapman. It'd be strange and, and very expensive <laughs> and impossible, but yeah. sure. How about uh, Ron Perlman for Groot? And Billy... Uh, I could dig it, and I guess. And Billy Connolly for Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. I feel like that might be too old, though. Yeah. I mean, n- uh, granted, Eric Idle is probably older than Billy Connolly, but he sounds older. Yeah, maybe... I don't know. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna really sell those characters who who they get you know, to do the voice. And I agree. Vin Diesel did a great job in Iron Giant, so he could probably pull off Groot. So you you, you tried to get to it to before before I derailed you, Jim. Tell us about Avengers Two. No, that's okay. I I, I I'm sorry that I almost derailed the Guardians of the Galaxy talk because I'm excited about that. How dare you? I know. You I'm <laughs> me and my digressions. How how dare I? Cut back my applesauce ration. You're only allowed to digress to Guardians of the Galaxy, not away from it. That's the rule. We agreed to this. Damn it. It is, it, it's, it's, a day, it's in the bylaws. It's a day that ends in Y, right? Uh, I, that's the only <laughs> time that's in effect. We got uh, a little visit from uh, our good fr- uh, geeky friend Joss Whedon uh, at the Marvel panel, and he unveiled the, the, uh, the title to the next Avengers movie, Avengers uh, 2 Age of Ultron. Now, he's since, in interviews and whatnot that I've read, said that it is not, indeed, an adaptation of the recent Brian Michael Bendis, uh, David Finch debacle, 
Um, Which I think is proof that it, uh, God does exist. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, two of the main characters in that are not even in the Disney Marvel Universe, Wolverine and Sue Storm, right, right. you know, that would be, you know, problematic at best for their storytelling. Uh, but anyway, uh, but Ultron is going to be the big bad. And without Hank Pym, I guess, is another thing that yes, we... Yes, no Hank Pym in this uh, movie. Let's slip. That Hank Pym won't be in this movie, but he will be in Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. But they haven't said that he's going to, whether he's going to be Ant Man or not. They just said he's in the movie. So right, they were very, very specific in the way they answered that. That Hank Pym will be in the movie. Right, but uh, specifically Ant Man, not Avengers Two. So we're getting Ultron, but without Hank Pym. Do we think a compromise Jarvis? I was thinking some sort of connection to Stark and Stark Tech. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, either parts of the Destroyer armor and. Iron Man armor mixed with Jarvis or something a little bit brand new, but they, they've made clear that all the pieces for Ultron or many of the pieces for Ultron have been previously established in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Interesting. Huh. I'm glad they're not adapting Bendis' story, though, because that would be, oh, thank God, that would yeah. be a wreck. Well, yeah, but the and whole was... time travel portion of it, I, I don't think that really fits well into this Marvel right. Cinematic Universe, so... Well, and, and funny you should mention that. I was watching an interview with Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios, if I remember correctly, um, the day before that panel where he was actually talking about Captain America. But he was asked about, and this was in the whole thing with about flashbacks and, the, and that um, montage scene from Captain America and how they're going to use that. And he made the offhand comment that it's not, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but um, we're not going to play the time travel card in the Marvel Cinematic Universe anytime soon. And... Granted, he was not talking about Age of Ultron, but that's yet another very happy sign for me that none of the nonsense from Age of Ultron, at least the the really awful stuff from it, will be in this movie. Part of the mass appeal of the Marvel movie universe on the Disney side has been them simplifying, not complicating. And and trying to adapt that would be an ultimate complication. And it also seems that um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who will be in the movie are not necessarily heroes in this film, or at least not working with the Avengers, and the Avengers are not necessarily happy with them, which seems to go with, well, A, some of their original appearances in, in the Brotherhood of Evil Brotherhood of Mutants or Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, whatever it is, and um, the Ultimate Universe as well, where the Avengers were not particularly thrilled with them when they showed up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that ties in, given that this is an Ultron story. Uh, how how that fits in? It could be that maybe you, it's Wanda's hex power that gives this thing its extra kick to become sentient. That could be cool. That could be very interesting. Yeah. Um, and also, Whedon has said the only other bit of news I can remember that uh, Scarlet Witch will not have her ridiculous, weird M-shaped headpiece yeah. from the comics. It'll be she might have some kind of headband to evoke that feel. But uh, her costume will be more of a mix of um, the Ultimate version and uh, the 616 version. I believe his quote was, we can't have her running around in a leotard, which I I think is uh, very sage advice from Mr. Whedon. Yeah, I guess the other bit that's come out, too, is that it looks like Loki may not be going back in the box after Thor 2, that there's word that he could be kind of the Marvel villain moving forward, that maybe... The string pulling between him and Thanos may not be necessarily going one way we thought, um, but but that he could be around for quite some time to come, which I think is 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 interesting that they're 
that they're going that route with that character. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to oversaturate a single character. That said, if you had to do it with one, or at least with one villain, so far he's the one to do it with in the Marvel Universe. I mean, Tom Hiddleston just kicks ass in that role, so. He owns it, son. Yes, he does. And the ladies love him. Ladies love cool Tom Hiddleston, so. Okay, I think that's pretty much all the big Marvel news. On the DC side, we got Max Snyder greeted everyone at the uh, the DC um, you know, Warner Brothers panel by you know, saying a thank you for Man of Steel, thank you for making such a success. And uh, he brought out Harry Lennox, the character actor who had been in Man of Steel, uh, who played the uh, general, uh, to read uh, a passage from the comic book that is going to be the inspiration for his next film, which is going to be Superman, Batman. And the way they, the way they presented this was really cool. He just said, you know, I was looking for inspiration for the next, you know, the next uh, movie and uh, here's where I found it. And Harry Lennox comes out and quotes, uh, the, um, you know, the famous quote from Frank Miller's, uh, Dark Knight Returns, uh, where Batman is beating Superman and is, you know, throttling him right before Batman dies and says, I want you to remember, Clark, the one man who bested you, you know, my hands at your throat. Uh, and then the lights went out in the hall, in Hall H, and a logo of a Superman logo came up, and a Batman logo superimposed behind it. Specifically, a Dark Knight Returns yes. Batman logo. Yeah, I was the big say, chunky yeah. one. And then specifically, a Man of Steel S too. Yeah. Yes. This is not the traditional Nolan, you know, new style Batman logo or the, you know, Burton style Batman logo either. Yeah, this is very much the. Um, the fat bat. Yes, exactly. And the rumor is that this movie will be titled Batman versus Superman, or possibly Superman versus Batman. Uh, DC already has both titles registered and has for quite some time, but uh, Batman versus Superman is the most likely horse to put your money on at this point. Now, here is my speculation. I want to get this out early, so if it turns out to be true, I can look back at this and be like, I told you so. So, in Man of Steel, right? Here's a mild spoiler for the movie. This is not a big deal. Uh, you know, obviously the Kryptonians have their armor, Zod has his armor, and before the end of the movie, Zod removes his armor to take on Superman mano a mano, and he leaves his armor on top of a building. A building that just happens to have, in some wider shots that you can see, and I've seen screenshots of, a LexCorp logo on the, on the side of the building. So I'm going to speculate right now that Su- Batman vs. Superman, or whatever the movie ends up being titled, is going to be... Some aspect of Batman versus Superman, obviously, but it'll be the return of Lex Luthor. It'll be Lex working with Batman using the black Kryptonian armor first as a basis for the Batman suit. So I, I could see Batman wearing this Kryptonian armor at some point. But also, once eventually Superman and Batman realize they're on the same side and that Lex Luthor has to be stopped, I see Lex donning the black armor or using that as a body uh, chassis for uh, Brainiac, Uh, which, I mean, I know there's been various versions of Brainiac uh, throughout the DC universe. I'm going with a version that Lex builds or Lex helps build or helps with in some way. So I see that Kryptonian armor being left on on the roof in Man of Steel being a big deal and being used in this movie. That is my totally out there speculation. We'll unearth this time capsule in a few years and find out if you were right. (laughs) Any uh, any outside bets on who's going to take over the Bat Mantle? Uh, is it going to be Jiggles, uh, George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt after the Nolan thing? Nah. Or are they gonna, no, no, they gonna and dis- it's certainly not going to be. Christian oh no, Bale. It's not people keep be Bale. saying, "Oh, will he come back?" No, get it over it. I thought 
maybe it's Army be Hammer before uh, the Lone Ranger tanked horribly. So I think he's maybe they tried to put him as Batman so many times. Yeah, they I know. Really have. But I think he hasn't really struck box off as gold, and I think the the Lone Ranger is going to sting for a while. And that's I think this movie is going to cost a ton. And knowing knowing lately that putting a lot of money behind a movie that should do well, um, having it actually do well has been a little dubious lately. They may be a little concerned about um, you know having somebody with questionable box office history taking on that role. Okay, I have a choice here, and I'm going to tell you why I'm making this choice, and I'll tell you who it is. Okay, this guy played in one of my favorite superhero movies of last year. It was totally deadpan, and if you're going for a slightly older Batman, like a Dark Knight Returns Batman. I think your choice would have to be Carl Urban. He was able to pull Ooh, off... Do you see him joining another franchise, though? Well, see, here's the thing. He did so well as Dread. That whole, the, the very, you know, the deadpan delivery, the super serious, you know, uh, gravelly voice and everything. And he never took off his helmet through the entire movie. And I just thought he, he nailed it. And I thought he would make... I mean, at that point, I even thought, you know, he'd probably do it pretty well as Batman. Yeah, I mean, my, my hesitation, like I said, comes mostly just from he's already in... The Star Trek franchise, they're petitioning now to get a Dread sequel made, so that would be a second franchise. You know, the rumor for this is that, uh, we, we know Superman Batman is scheduled for 2015, that the the rumor is then as um, Flash in 2016, Justice League 2017, I don't see him joining a third franchise. That just seems overkill at this point. He's also committed to that new TV show about the cop that teams up with an android. Uh, almost or, Human, I think? Yeah, something like that. Um, so that might put a hamper on, you know, their timelines and when they can shoot and all that other kind of stuff. That is if the show even gets renewed. Right. Plus, right. if you wanted to keep the same Batman in the, I forgot about the Justice League movie coming up in 2017. If you wanted to keep the same actor, you'd probably want someone younger. How about Kit Harrington? Eh, two emo, two emo. Possibly. Two emo to be Batman. I don't know. Batman can be pretty, I don't, pretty emo. I think he could pull off a Bruce Wayne. I just don't know that he has the right, like... His facial structure, like the the jaw or the the yeah, I, that's I, a big deal. Yeah, I just don't see that look. You know, when you put the cowl over him, you got to have a very strong jaw for Batman. Yeah, um, and and it's you know it's kind of funny. Marvel's scooping up all the young male actors, the big guys, even the guys who are just on the verge of you know, crossing into superstardom, Chris Pratt and people like that. Um, they're not leaving a lot left out there for DC to uh, choose from. Which, you know, kudos to Marvel, I guess. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe an unknown is the choice. Maybe you yeah. have a Batman versus Superman movie without Bruce Wayne, where you only ever see Batman in costume. And you choose a kind of unknown because you're selling Batman. You're not selling, uh, you know, John Smith. You're selling Batman. But yeah, I, I don't have a strong idea in my head of who it could be. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be cool. I don't see it happening. I think they want to start over here. They've already said it's not the same universe, and that would just make it very confusing. Um, you know, is there's a lot of actors out there, and I'm sure there's someone perfect for the part, but I just don't know who it is. Joe Manganiello. <laughs> Michael Sarah. He's probably got the weakest Joe in Hollywood, so that would not work. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf. Oh, I wonder, this just, we hadn't talked about the, the choice of it. This just seemed really, really bold to me. I was really shocked that they went for this out of the, as the second movie. 
I was really hoping to get a Superman movie where we could dive more into the Clark Kent persona, his relationship with Lois, with the planet, with everything going on. And I think adding this whole Batman aspect of it, I'm concerned that it might dilute that. And we're not really going to get the extension of the Superman mythos that I thought we would get in a second movie. I think this would be a great choice for a third movie. Um, and I could be totally wrong. I mean, this thing could come out and just completely kill it. Uh, but I, I remain very, very uh, cautious and very skeptical at this point. Well, what if one of the subplots in the movie is Clark Kent and Lois Lane going to Gotham to investigate this costume vigilante Batman who's been causing so much trouble? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it really just depends on how they play it and, and what the angle is and what they try and cram into, you know, a two hour, 15, two hour, 20 minute movie. I just hope before they do it, they, um, they watch the, uh, the Batman Superman movie, uh, the world's finest three part cartoon from, uh, the, the Superman Batman animated series. Cause I just thought that was one of the best, you know, Superman and Batman meet yeah. stories, uh, ever told, like comic book, movie, cartoon, and whatnot. Just very pitch perfect for those characters. And, um, the whole, you know, with Lois and Bruce and everything, it just, it just made perfect sense. I, I really hope somebody watches that before this movie is made. Agreed. What about some actual comic news? Comics? What are those? At Comic-Con? Are, are you kidding me? Oh, there was tons of comic it's all about news the expo- It's all about the exclusive action figures, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people complain, oh, it's all about the movies and TV shows now. Look, if you actually wanted to, if you go to Comic-Con, you could go just to comic book panels, just to comic book booths, and just browse through comics all day, every day for the entire con, and you still wouldn't see everything. There is tons of comic stuff there. It's not the biggest news, but there's tons of it there. And and there wasn't a lot of DC news that we could remember coming out of the con, but Marvel stuff, they were talking about, um, you know, Superior Spider-Man and what's ahead for him. They were talking about Infinity, which is shaping up to be amazing. Um, they are talking about the thing that's coming after that, kind of the new status quo, not so much a crossover, but called Inhumanity, which is also being set up now by Hickman in uh, The Avengers and New Avengers, uh, specifically New Avengers. Um, man, uh, issue number eight of New Avengers just came out yesterday as we record this, and, and it's not Comic-Con news specifically, but the stuff they are setting up in Avengers and New Avengers and that they were talking about at this con for Infinity is mind-blowing. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It is, I mean, I sent the email out to everybody yesterday or, or this morning, basically telling them the big, one of the, one of the big things that happens in a New Avengers number eight that happens on page two of the damn comic. And if you are a Marvel hist- historian, if you are familiar with big scale Marvel Galactic stuff, uh, cosmic entities, all that kind of stuff, um, this will kind of break your brain what happened in this issue. Again, on page two, and it's just set up. It's not even the thing. It's just set up for how big this is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. A couple of things that came out, I guess there's this event that actually kicked off Wednesday called Hunger, and it involves the ultimate version of Galactus and the 616 version of Galactus coming together, literally, in the ultimate universe and causing all kinds of havoc. And yeah, the, the whole, uh, the first issue's already out, I've got it, and uh, I read it, Yeah, and, uh, what you described happens in the first issue. Yeah, it's pretty intriguing. But it's, I guess that's going to lead into an event that's called, uh, ca- I guess they're calling it Cataclysm, and it's going to be the, 
what is it, the last last stand of the Ultimates or the last Ultimates? Anyway, something like that. But there's a lot of speculation that this could be the end of the Ultimate Universe as we know it. Uh, that after after this event, this could be going on. And And this is something I've actually speculated for a long time. I think after Ultimatum, the changes to that universe were so drastic. Uh, and then the de- death of Peter Parker... A little bit of spoiler for the Ultimate stuff, so if you don't want to listen, you may fast forward a little bit. But Captain America becoming President of the United States, all of the mutants setting up their own little fiefdom out in the the Western Desert. Um, you know, just all the characters that they've they've completely wiped off the board, um, in various stories over time, and just kind of this this you know these huge shifts that they're they're doing. I've speculated for a while that a lot of this is just to wind this thing down. And to to put it to bed, because the the other reason I think that is, it used to be that it it seemed for the most part the movie universe was taking its cues from the Ultimate Universe. We saw a lot of uh, the, the the you know the the Cap in his costume and the way that's done. A lot of stuff with Thor, some stuff with Iron Man, uh, just just a lot of you know the 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 whole Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. All that kind of stuff took a lot of cues from Miller and Hitch's The Ultimates. Um, now it seems that those changes, because of the popularity of the movies, are funneling back into the comics, and we're seeing a lot of that, you know, that character design creep its way back into the six one six, which again makes the Ultimate U a little bit less unique. So I I fully believe that that this is going to fold, and I don't think. It's going to go away, and they're just going to, you know, wipe the board clean. I think it's going to allow for some either cross-dimensional, you know, traffic, or they're going to pull, they're going to pull some key po- portions of that universe into the six one six, or you know, maybe streamline it into one book that that kind of uh, crosses the barrier or whatnot. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the, the Ultimate Universe served a very important purpose and function when it was introduced, and I don't know if I would say that it necessarily has run its course at this point, but the the function it was designed to serve is now somewhat obsolete and uh, counterintuitive is not the word I'm looking for, but it goes against the aims of Marvel and Disney at this point to have, have the stuff that really feels more like the movies in a separate universe that's confusing to newcomers and really... All you really need to do is bring in Miles Morales and and a few other things. And yeah, I mean, I have nothing against the Ultimate Universe. It's fine. The stuff I've read, I enjoyed. But maybe it's time. The Mar- the uh, the Ultimates, the original uh, Miller and Hitch series, was one of my gateways back into comics after I'd quit for a long time. Uh, I hadn't read comics, you know, all through the a lot, a big chunk of the you know the hologram '90s, as it were. You know, chromium covers, all that stuff, kind of turned me off. So I got out of the hobby. But um, the the original Ultimates miniseries uh, trade is kind of what got me back into reading, and I really liked Ultimate Spider-Man, like the first sixty issues or so by by Bendis and Bagley. I thought were just really a cool uh, reimagining, retelling of the Spider-Man mythos, but. As it's gone on, it's kind of gotten unwieldy, like, like Russ has alluded to, you know, just kind of things have gone off the rails too many times. And then by the time Ultimatum came around, Ultimates 3 and then Ultimatum was almost like a, a one-two sucker punch for me. And I pretty much lost all interest in the Ultimate Universe. And the last thing I read was Ultimate Nightmare. And I was, I was glad to see they were able to reconcile the Ultimate version of Galactus with the 616 version of Galactus. Cause I thought they might just sweep that under the table. 
uh, and not recognizing the work that Warren Ellis had done on that. Um, but they didn't. They incorporated it into the story. So, um, I don't know. I think it's cool they're kind of cleaning the house on their alternate universes. <laughs> I mean, we got the new universe popping up in Hickman's Avengers. You got, um, you know, uh, Old Man Logan Wolverine showing up in, 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 uh, Hulk Future Imperfect showing up in, uh, you know, in AVX, or not AVX, but A plus X, I'm sorry. Um, so there's been a lot of messing around with the time stream, different dimensions and everything, and, uh, I don't know, I think a house cleaning's in order. I have a sneaking suspicion that inhumanity is gonna have something to do with all of Earth being turned into inhumans or something, uh, to help. Well, not all of it, but, but large portions, because right. it does not impact regular humans. Because of the, the because of the Thanos threat during Infinity or whatever, so. It's an interesting twist on, uh, Grant Morrison's wrap up of this JLA run. Um, so, I mean, I'm interested to see what Hickman's doing. I, I love the chess pieces he's putting into place so far, you know, uh, for Infinity, and we'll see how much it, how much of a game changer it really is, I suppose. Um, we also got the, um, uh, um, whatchamacallit, the long, long shot, uh, miniseries they're gonna be doing. Long shot saves the Marvel Universe. Right. Long shot is back, everybody. Everything 90s and 80s is back again. <laughs> Although, thankfully, not his hair. Oh man, I love the the '80s long shot hair. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he's got a, a much more sensible uh, haircut now. I guess yeah, he, he's played a pretty big role in um, Peter David's X Factor for the last several years. Um, so it's kind of interesting that that series is winding down, and they're going to give him a mini series to um, of his own. I, I, my guess would be that we'll see at least a couple Art Adams, uh, variant covers through this. You can only hope. I love Art Adams. Oh man. Him and J.R.J. are like two of, of my absolute favorites. The other Marvel news is they're going to have a new, uh, iteration of the amazing X-Men, which is going to be apparently Wolverine and company's search to bring back Nightcrawler. Uh, and the cover of the issue they showed had Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler in his, our traditional Nightcrawler, I don't think this is the Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler, in his uh, traditional swashbuckler gear going after Azazel. And um, they've brought in the um, the Bamps, as they're called, into Wolverine and the X-Men as a part of the school. They're, they're these little um, miniature versions like of... Uh, that, that are very much like Nightcrawler from that dimension that he actually teleports into... So there's been a lot of speculation that that might be used somehow to bring him back and that Azazel is going to have something to do with that. So that series, I think, starts in October, I think, October, November. Um, they'll be starting Amazing X-Men. Just what we needed, another X-Men book. That's just what I was <laughs> going to say. Yay, another X-Men book. Maybe they'll get rid My of X-Men Legacy to make room for it. Yeah, I think that one's already been put on the chopping block, so... And rightfully so, it stinks on ice. Oh, horrible. Yeah, the comic shout-out I would like to make most that came out of San Diego is to uh, my, uh, my friend and, and co-worker now, uh, Jamal Eigel. Uh, he's been working for the past 10 years uh, to create and develop and publish a character called Molly Danger. All-ages adventure-style book about a young girl uh, is a protector of a small town in her adventures. and so it's, it's kind of in tone like uh, if the Goonies had superpowers, that kind of thing. Uh, it's it's all ages, it's, it's, but it's uh, it's well written enough that you won't feel dumbed down to you know like you're reading a kitty comic. Jamal Eigel, if you're not familiar with this work, he drew for DC for a long time. He's drawn for IDW. Uh, he's great, great art. Uh, just today on Facebook, he posted um, 
pictures of the hardback editions of Molly Danger that he finally received. And Molly Danger made its debut in a uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive comic. Uh, so it ties into the San Diego news that we're doing. So I just wanted to congratulate uh, Jamal and Action Lab on getting Molly Danger out. I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be a really popular IP and franchise uh, going on forward. And uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Very cool. It seems like in general, a lot of the comic news this year was just stuff that already had been rumored or there wasn't any real big, you know, big comic news. And I guess, you know, the, for the most part, there hasn't been you know, huge, you know, earth-shattering announcements at Comic-Con for, you know, quite some time, I guess. Yeah, usually, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, when we go to New York, there's usually two or three big comic book yeah. announcements, you know, like new titles or new creative teams or whatever. But, I mean, San Diego, I've never been personally, but I've, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, through the media, you know, attentively every year for, you know, a decade now. It just seems, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound like a cliche here. But it just seems to be moving, you know, more and more into a multimedia frenzy, you know, for movies, TV, toys, video games, you know, you name it. Um, so, I mean, comics kind of, you know, in all that, you know, noise to signal there, I mean, comic, comics kind of, you know, news kind of gets lost in the shuffle. I think. Well, and there's also a lot more comics news and, and panels and, and creators showing up at New York also just because... That's where the DC and Marvel are. Yeah, it's New York, you know, yeah. it, you've got to ship people out to California if you want to have stuff there. Whereas, hey, it's uh, take a bus if you want to do it at SDC or at NYCC. I think the other problem too is a lot of this is you know comics are solicited so far in advance um, that you you have to be careful. You know, you haven't even gotten through the event you're on. And you're overly hyping the next event, which kind of dilutes and takes the punch out of what you're currently trying to promote. And, you know, a lot of it is they're just hyping up, you know, creators that they have and, and stuff that they have currently to keep the, you know, keep the juices flowing. And if you get, you know, too far ahead, then it either spoils stuff or, you know, they have stuff they're promoting that they haven't, you know, fully secured the, either secure the rights or secure the property or the, you know, artist writer team hasn't, uh, you know, gotten ahead enough on the work to reliably be able to announce something and get it out. I mean, we saw that with the Marvel Man uh, announcement, what, like three, four years ago at this point? And they they had some reprinted material, but we still don't, you know, there's a lot of rumor and a lot of hype, and Marvel made a huge deal out of it, and it just, like, it, it was just like a fart. I mean, it just, it just you know, it just dissipated. And, and in in Marvel's defense, left. though, I saw a slide in their presentation that had the Marvel Man logo, and then underneath it said, we did not forget. Yeah, but so, again... I mean, they they'd probably have, I would imagine, some plan to, to fold him in during this big, you know, cataclysm, infinity, uh, brouhaha. You know, I, I could totally see, I mean, they brought in Angela, for Pete's sake. I mean, why can't they bring in him, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I don't know. I'm, I was, in, in our chat here as we record, I had put in some speculation, without spoiling the big major thing that happens on page two of uh, New Avengers number eight that I talked about before. Uh, I, I asked uh, Jim, at, well, and Russ, but Jim answered, would Marvel Man slash Miracle Man have the power to do what we saw on page two of New Avengers eight? And the answer was yes. So yeah, could Hickman be laying the seeds right now for a very imminent return of uh, the character everybody wants? Maybe. Uh, I cool. think that'd be very that cool. That'd be cool. I mean, like, you know, he's brought Starbrand and Nightmask back. Nothing nothing is impossible. Yeah. Right, right. I guess uh, there's two other bits 
that uh, that we heard. One is, I guess, at the Batman Zero Year panel, that Batman's getting a new costume, and so that that was kind of a big deal that uh, that Capullo and Snyder announced as a part of that. And the other thing, and this is this, if this is true, this to me is is almost earth shattering. DC is courting John Romita Jr. to give him a Superman book. Some of you are like, yeah, okay, so what? John Romita Jr. has never worked for DC in his entire, at this point, over 30-year career. Um, he's been strictly Marvel other than a couple, I think he had some creator-owned projects that he did um, either independently or one book through Image uh, that was put out. But everything else has either been Marvel, Icon, Epic, you know, something under the Marvel umbrella for his entire career. So I understand his contract is coming up with Marvel soon. So this might be just a negotiating tactic, um, but it could be DC might be making a real play, which I think would be really, really huge. Yeah, that'd be cool. Have we ever seen him, I mean, even though he's been under contract, have we ever seen him draw Superman to see what his version would look like? Yeah, he's... At a con or something like that? I think yeah. he's done, I think he did covers to some of that Marvel DC crossover stuff. Um, I, I can't remember if he actually penciled an issue of that or not, but uh, but yeah, he has done done some of that stuff. But it just I, I'm really curious because you know they tried bringing David Finch over to DC and that didn't really work quite so well. Uh, I think there's some people their style is just so indicative and so um, associated with a particular company. I wonder how that's going to translate if in fact it comes across. But I'd be really interested. Uh, and seeing that, and the rumor is not just to do the art on it, but the, for him to do the writing as well. So, again, that could be a huge coup for DC if they're able to pull that off. What stuff has he written in the past? I don't know if I've ever read anything he's written. Um, I think the creator own book, but I I can't recall actually anything he's actually written. Um, I I guess in a way, if you consider, you know, Kickass is considered a co-creation between. Miller and Ramita Jr. Oh, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't, you know, as far as the actual writing goes, I don't, I don't know. Um, he he tends to be kind of like the, you, you know, the everyman or the the. I don't know how to put this. I mean, his job a lot at Marvel is developing new talent, working with new talent, kind of, um, you know, being the kind of the company man. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but. I mean, the guy is just a, a a machine. I mean, he puts out work like like nobody's business. Um, you know, he he's worked at times. You know, kind of like John Byrne. You know, he's, there's times where he's worked on two books at a time. Um, you know, he'll fill in and do inking work and you know just just stuff like that. Um, so I'm 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 really curious to see how that's going to fit with him. You know, moving over to DC and and having you know just a different you know just different mentality, different characters, different styles. Uh, and and to see how that translates over there. They, they showed the shield pilot in in its entirety. Yeah, well, it went over well. That didn't surprise me at all. I mean, I think the only surprise, and not really even a surprise, is that Kobe Smulders is making a cameo appearance in the pilot. Um, and my understanding, I mean, this is the last season of How I Met Your Mother, so I would imagine we probably aren't going to see too much of her in season one. But I wouldn't be surprised if she becomes a series regular or becomes more. Uh, we see her more in season two or towards the tail end of season one. There was also a surprise uh, Whedonverse alum cameo in the pilot as well, uh, who I, I probably I, I, I won't spoil. If you really want to know, you can Google it. Um, but so that was fun. And we know now who J. August Richards is playing and it's nobody in particular. Yeah. 
It it is a name that does exist in the Marvel universe, but it doesn't really tell us a lot from what I John understand. Harrison. <laughs> uh, they announced the Eisners. I guess I could go through a couple highlights of it. I won't go through the whole list, um, but the big ones. I guess best single issue went to The Mire by Becky Cloonan, which was self-published. Have either of you guys read The Mire by by Becky Cloonan? I have not. No, but I like her work on the Killjoys. Yeah, and uh, her she started off that Conan run with uh, with Brian Wood. So I might I might actually check this one out. Uh, best continuing series and best new series went to Saga, which amen. Yeah, no no surprise really to anyone. We actually just recorded a Jersey Shore episode of Saga, which should be out in the next couple weeks. Best writer went to Brian K. Vaughan for Saga again. No no surprise. Best writer artist went to Chris Ware for Building Stories, which that book has been getting a lot of a lot of buzz and and again it's it's gotten a lot of. Uh, critical acclaim as well for its uniqueness. My friend Ed Pisker was up against him in this category, and uh, when the nominations came out, he, he said, well, I guess I'm losing to Chris Ware this year. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> for his book, WYSIWYG, which was pretty awesome. Uh, best Penciler and ink- Inker was tied between David Aja and Chris Somney, um, and of course Aja on Hawkeye and Somney on Daredevil and the Rocketeer Cargo of Doom. Um, best cover artist went to David Aja, which I thought was kind of interesting, given how minimalist those covers are. But, uh, but I guess that uh, some people, including myself, really like those. Yeah, no, I do. I just I, it it just seems kind of odd. I guess that's I I look at that more as design than overall artistic talent. But and that I that probably sounds like I'm being kind of douchey when I say that, but yeah, congrats to David Aja. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his work. Don't get me wrong. Um, and the rest, like I said, there's a ton of, uh, the best comics related book was Marvel comics. The untold story by Sean Howe, which I think I know Jim and I both have read. I, I'm Jordan. I'm not sure if you read that or not. Uh, Marvel comics, the untold story. Okay. Cut that. Uh, no, I have, I have not read that. Yeah. And that's, that was, you know, definitely worth it and deserving. Um, and then again, there's just a, a ton of different categories, children's books and anthologies and um, all that kind of stuff. And Newsarama has a has a good list of, of all of the winners. So congrats to all those guys, um, especially Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples, and David Aja, who uh, are favorites of ours here at the Long Box of Doom. I guess the only other thing that I have to mention is uh, we got a little more information on DC animated uh, Flash, uh, uh, the, the Flashpoint a paradox and that it looks like it's going to kick off the next event or the next animated feature which is going to be i think it's called justice league war which is basically the retelling of the first new 52 arc from justice league which is pretty much the formation of the justice league and the new 52 uh, and it looks like that's the route that dc animated is going is to tell these new 52 styled stories um, or at least, at least you know these two will be good companions to each other. Yeah, there'll be a uh, review of the Flashpoint Paradox on our website pretty soon. Awesome, I'm looking forward to that one. I, I think it'll it'll be uh, hopefully pretty good, which co- comes out uh, this coming Tuesday. As you uh, as you listen to this podcast, it'll be either just released or just getting ready to be released. And I think that means the review will go up over the weekend because that's when the embargo is is uh, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuesday, July 31st is the or July 30th is the, uh, so I guess that's, I don't have anything else from Comic-Con 2013 other than the fact that I wish I was there. <laughs> I think next year is going to be the year to be there with all the 2015 stuff coming out. 
there's it's going to be Hall H is going to be insane. You'll probably have to start lining up next week to get into Hall H for uh, twenty fourteen at this point. Uh, because of uh, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Star Wars, uh, Batman vs Superman, Star Wars Seven, yeah, craziness. And since we're talking about cons, I just want to mention really quick that uh, Legion Longbox of Doom is going to be uh, representing once again at the Pittsburgh Comic Con this year, uh, September twenty seventh, twentieth, and 29th at the Monroeville Convention Center. Uh, I, yours truly is going to be hosting the trivia contest as I do every year uh, for a giant basket of prizes uh, this year. Uh, graciously supplied by a lot of really great sponsors, including Action Lab, uh, Phantom of the Attic, and, and others. Uh, they're, uh, come on and see us. It's usually at noon in the Great Hall on Saturdays, uh, the, the Pittsburgh Comic Con. Uh, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, we, Jim Steranko is here this year, uh, George Perez, um, we have the TARDIS. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Bullock, the, the original Bubba Fett, uh, will be here. So uh, it's always a fun time, and there are a lot, so many great artists uh, just locally here in Pittsburgh, and it's a great, you know, it's good time for for everybody just to get together and, and and have fun. It's a it's the kind of con where you can walk up to the talent as well and, and you know talk to them for a little while and you know have a little one on one, and it's not uh, the kind of hustle and bustle you'd find at San Diego or New York Comic Con. So uh, come and see us if you're down there, Pittsburgh Comic Con, uh, September twenty seventh, twenty eighth, twenty ninth. It's the Long Box of Doom and the HHWLOD Network. Woohoo! Yay. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for this episode of the Long Box of Doom. Um, I'm not sure what we got coming up next month, but again, we'll have uh, Real Heroes on the Wolverine coming up. I'm sure the HHW guys will do it. We know Aaron Newerth at Out Now is going to do it. Um, you know, so check out hhwlod.com or put that in at iTunes and you should find all of the podcasts that we do on the network, including the Walking Dead TV podcast, uh, the, the Black Box with Sean Pryor, um, the Shield podcast, all the great stuff we have going on over at hhwlod.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912 or send an email to lod at hhwlod.com. And we will be happy to read that on the air. Um, please leave us iTunes reviews. Uh, as most of you know, uh, with the great uh, website apocalypse of uh, 2013, we had to rebo- reboot all the feeds. Um, everything got reposted to iTunes. Um, there's been tons and tons of stuff, too, with Google Reader. So a lot of people have had to re kind of re-enlist their feeds and everything else. So if you can go to iTunes and leave us some iTunes reviews, you can search for Long Vox of Doom or HHWLOD, and you should find this and all the shows come up. We'd love for you to leave uh, us some iTunes reviews on the site. So until next time, this is Russ for Jim and Jordan. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. When I was 15, 16, when I really started to play guitar, I definitely wanted to become a musician. It was almost impossible because it was the dream was so big that I didn't see any chance because I was living in a little town, was studying, and when I finally broke away from school and became a musician, I thought, well, now I may have a little bit of a chance because all I really wanted to do is music and not only play music, but compose music. At that time in Germany, in 69, 70, they had already discotheques. So I would take my car, would go to a discotheque, sing maybe 30 minutes. I think I had about seven, eight songs. I would partially sleep in the car because I didn't want to drive home. And that helped me for about almost two years to survive 
in the beginning. I wanted to do an album with the sounds of the 50s, the sounds of the 60s, of the 70s, and then have a sound of the future. And I said, wait a second, I know the synthesizer. Why don't I use the synthesizer, which is the sound of the future? And I didn't have any idea what to do, but I knew I needed a click. So we put a click on the 24 track, which then was synced to the Moog modular. I knew that could be a sound of the future, but I didn't realize how much the impact would be. My name is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me Giorgio.
once you free your mind about the concept of uh, harmony and of music being correct, you can do whatever you want. So nobody told me what to do, and there was no preconception of what to do. 